So, I mean, I saw you like, you know, busy in the South America. Lots of things happening in yes. South America. Oh my yes, God. it's true. There was a great election in Brazil and, you know, and so on. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I might spend like a couple of minutes on that. I saw some of your pictures with Lula. Yes. Tell us some of your, you know, like thought when it was happening. It was happening in front of your eyes, the change in Brazil. Well, you know, I first went to Brazil 20 years ago and covered Lula's first presidential campaign. Um, it's a long time ago um, in one sense, because um, at the time it was, you know, extraordinary because you had had a kind of a centrist government of Fernando Henrique Cardozo. And Cardozo, you know, was a dependency theorist, economist. And when he came into office, people didn't realize that actually he's a kind of centrist politician, mm. even though he writes about dependency theory and economics and so on. And Cardozo, you know, um, ran the country in a neoliberal path uh, to increase the wealth of the country, but to also sharpen inequality, which is the classic uh, double bind of neoliberalism. Mm. Uh, when Lula first won in, in, um, in 20 years ago, it was extraordinary because he came in and he said, you know, we have an emergency. We've got to deal with the problem of hunger. We've got to deal with the problem of lack of access to education. Mm. Um, he made, you know, Fernando Haddad, the education minister. He basically went on a big tear to build public um, higher education institutions around the country, you know, federally funded. Um, you know, he used high commodity prices to do that. Also was able to eradicate hunger, which was quite mm. considerable. Opened up relations with the African continent, you know, made direct statements about Brazil's terrible history of slavery and racism towards Afro-Brazilians. Talked about the Amazon and the indigenous. I mean, Lula is just forgotten how interesting he was right mm. from the start. Uh, he involved himself a lot in international relations. You know, he was... Mm key to conducting a, a, a negotiation with the Iranians and the U.S. Uh, to prevent uh, escalation of U.S.-Iranian hostility, he got a deal on the table and then Obama betrayed him. You know, Obama backed out of that deal. So Lula was incredible in the beginning, you know. And then I watched this attack first on Dilma Rousseff, who was the person who came right after Lula. She was the president. You know, she's an incredible person. She was a a guerrilla against the military dictatorship, which lasted 21 years. She was tortured in prison and so on. You know, when she was president, the right, the far right, which included Bolsonaro, um, really went after her and they impeached her. You know, it was a kind of legislative coup d'etat uh, mm. where they were extraordinarily offensive, misogynistic and violent in the Congress while impeaching her. And then they started this um, this project of, 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 you know, getting Lula in jail and mm. accusing him of corruption and so on. Now, Brazil has had a history of corruption that goes mm. back 200 years. Um, what happened during Lula's period was he put in place a number of institutions, you know, that would manage, um, you know, the investigations of corruption. And there was really no or little or less uh, putting under the rug cases of corruption. So, during the time of Lula, there was a lot of reporting about corruption because they were not suppressing the stories, mm. you know. That's mm. one of the ironies. 
he personally was accused of corruption with absolutely no evidence you know it was the 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 statement made by a person who wanted to get out of jail mm. um, so he kind of i think well the courts decided later that he had fabricated the evidence kind of uh, mm. courts didn't directly say that but anyway i visited lula um uh, jail cell you know he was in kuruchiba in in prison uh, for 500 plus days um and every night and every day there was a camp outside the cell in kuruchiba where people would say bonjia lula you know good morning lula good afternoon lula good night lula and so on uh, for 500 days and they kept his spirit up mm-hmm. well eventually the court last year decided in april that lula could run again in the election Well in this period while he was in jail you had Yair Bolsonaro a man of the far right as the mm. president mm. a really terrible genocidal president you know who mm. uh, declined to provide fresh water to communities in the amazon during the pandemic i mean you know with all this talk from the who about wash your hands and so on and he said no i'm not going to in- increase water supply so you know in that sense genocidal um mm. well it was a tough election because the election spanned all of october and in early october on the second was the first round um lula came first of all the candidates but didn't get over 50% but mm-hmm. the congress the federal deputies and the senate was captured by the right wing mm-hmm. so the bolsonaristas actually control the legislature even now mm-hmm. lula prevailed in the second round by very slim margin of only about a million and a half votes Mm. in the second round uh, on the 30th of october so brazil is at a tough phase where lula once again is going to have to come into office and say let's end hunger let's increase education everything he did 20 years ago he's going to have to repeat because mm. in just a few years the right wing had basically undone everything you know in 6 mm. years the right has undone the gains made under lula it's pretty mm. incredible Mm-hmm. like one of the questions i always ask myself even you know like countries like brazil you know why these countries move towards right well it's it's not just brazil you know it's it's most of the world is experiencing mm-hmm. this um mm-hmm. i suppose there are a series of reasons one is that the center or the liberals have basically to a large extent um you know been demoralized and also delegitimized because you know the liberals were the ones who pushed neoliberal politics over the last 25 30 years also the right the conservatives also the old conservative traditional conservatives margaret mm-hmm. thatcher and so on ronald mm-hmm. reagan these are old conservatives um they plus the liberals you know the clintons the blairs the cardozos the manmohan singhs you know they pushed mm. the politics of neoliberalism which increased distress for a lot of people so that's one issue that the liberal wing is got less credibility now mm. second issue is that there are a lot of terrible changes taking place in the world that are bewildering people you know with the climate question with issues of social and family lives being disrupted by rising inequality you know unemployment and so on the lack of of old forms of social belonging that are crumbling you know um and this has led a lot of people to turn to 
uh, newer forms of social life. You know, mm. uh, in South America, for instance, the rise of um, evangelical Christianity, Pentecostalism, for instance, with its prosperity gospel, which makes the argument that even you can get rich. And by the way, the Muslim world also has its own version mm. of mm. this in Tablighi Jamaat, for instance. Mm. Mm. You know, where you know you can also do well if you are a if you are a good family man. Mm. Jamaat stuff is rooted around family. If you are a good family man, you can get prosperous. You know, mm. if you're poor, if you're not, if you're failing in your business, it's because you're not a good family man. So patriarchal attitudes link up to self-help uh, attitudes. You know, don't blame the system and so on. This is the social basis for the right. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's unlikely for like Tablighi Jamaat people to become people of the left, you know, or even liberals. Um, there's a strong patriarchal piece to this, you know. Mm, mm. Um, you know, even the Muslim Brotherhood, its resurgence mm. in parts of West Asia and, and so on. It's all about the family and the father and the role mm. of the father to give a kind of stability in an unstable world. Mm. Um, this stuff is, is, is part of the social foundation of the rise of the right. Mm. And I don't think we've really come to full terms with this. Mm. Um, but yeah, and, and also, you know, obviously the weakness of the left plays a role mm. Um, mm. in it. But but that's not enough. It's really these sociological shifts mm. that I think we have to register. Um, you know, the rise of, it's not even a reaction to the rise of feminism because feminism is not that powerful. It's more a reaction to uh, the kind of capitalist process of the uh, the kind of breakup of the family, mm. Mm. you know that that sort of structural process by mm. which family members have to migrate, you know, can't think of a family from any part of the world which doesn't lose people to migration. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. in the UK they may not call it migration, but you know the very fact that if I'm a in a house, you know, there's two parents and three children. The chances are that the three children don't live with the two parents after the age of 18 or 20 or whatever. Mm. Either they go off and they go to college and they have mm. a kind of that kind of life or they go and get a trade and they move into their own apartment. You know, this idea that the family lives together and that there's a kind of authority structure and that there's, you know, regular meetings of the family, you know, mm. Sunday meals or whatever. People are moving further and further away as transportation mm. improves, as job prospects decline in where you grew up. Mm. You know, so this natural process of the breakup of the family um, has given a kind of impetus to the right to argue for a kind of reinstatement of the role of the father and, you mm. know, if it's slightly more liberal of the parents, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean... I think this will bring, you know, kind of you know, this kind of talks when you talk about Israel's politics. I think we can more <laughs> unpack those things. I mean, um, it's quite fascinating stuff. Like, you know, Israel has got like I think five elections in the last four years. So they removed like Netanyahu last year and then he's back again. So before that, he was 12 years in power. Now he's back again. But this time he'll form a government like no other. Is the most right-wing government he will form. Uh, so two of the groups, other groups, I mean, the, even the names are really frightening. I mean, and if you see them, their behaviors, their, you know, outlook about the other, 
the Palestinians. It's quite frightening. I mean, what's your first thought after this election? Well, it depends who it's frightening for. I think Mm. that's a reasonable question to ask. Okay. So firstly, in a way, I think with the, from the standpoint of the Palestinians, Mm. the gap between Netanyahu and Lapid and all that is minimal. Mm, mm, Um, mm. In fact, you know, since, well, at least since um, Ariel Sharon, you know, in now again, 20 odd years ago, um, the acceleration of a kind of Zionist, um, you know, belief that they, the, the 1948 Israel lines can be extended to incorporate the 1967 lines. You know, that was mm-hmm. something driven by Ariel Sharon, you know, when he went to mm-hmm. Al-Aqsa Mosque, for instance, you know, right after the United States um, went to war in Afghanistan. I think 2002, mm-hmm. he goes into mm-hmm. Al-Aqsa and accelerate, accelerates the second intifada, you know. Mm-hmm. From around that time, Israeli politics in a kind of unified way has been pretty annexationist regarding the Palestinians. Let's be Mm. quite clear. Yeah. Apart from marginal left forces, some of the Arab political, Arab-Israeli political parties, human rights groups and so on, there is really no organized force that doesn't agree with the annexationist policies Mm. of the Israeli establishment. You know, so whether it's even labor, which is now barely existent, mm. uh, all the way out to these far-right parties. There is no difference in terms of their policy vis-a-vis the Palestinians. Mm. So, mm. as I said, when it comes to the standpoint of the Palestinians, all of the Israeli establishment, ma- ma one or two exceptions, are annexationist. Mm. So that's the first thing. Now, from the standpoint of the settlers, in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem, Mm. this is a terrific government because Mm. this government will, in fact, help them more than the other governments did. That doesn't mean that the other governments didn't help them. Mm. This is just a government which will help them more. So Mm. from their standpoint, this is terrific, you know, Mm. from the settlers' standpoint, um, in both East Jerusalem and the West Bank and the settlers in Jerusalem who would Mm. like to seize all of Jerusalem, not just the East part. Then, number three, this is terrible for liberal Israelis. Mm. That is to say, this is going to be terrible for liberal Israelis. Not for liberal Israelis because they worry about the Palestinians. The liberal Israelis that are not annexationists are minimal. Mm. But inside the annexationist camp, the Zionist annexationists, there are Conservative people, personally conservative people, traditionalist people, Mm. observant Mm. Jews and so on. And then there are the liberals, the sort of Tel Aviv crowd, Mm. you know, uh, swimsuits and the occasional non-kosher food when you go outside Israel, Mm. holiday Mm. in Cyprus and so on, Mm. you know. Mm. This is going to be difficult for them, for their lives. Because it's likely that Netanyahu and his far-right government are going to push policies that restrict the life choices of liberal mm. Jews inside Israel. Mm. So, mm. In fact, I don't understand why people outside Israel 
are so horrified by this government because from the standpoint of Palestinians, the annexationist um, lobby transcends mm. party political differences. Mm. They are all mm. annexationists. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, there is bar just one or two marginal exceptions. Mm. Mm. But the real gap is going to be what this means for your liberal Jewish Israeli who would like to have a liberal life. Will they be permitted? Mm. That's going to be interesting. Mm. Mm. I'm just like trying to like read some of those things. Like, you know, some of the ideas are coming now is they will ban, you know, this like this pride they do in like Israel, you know, this like liberal Israel. Um, And then they will, you know, like they will get, get after those people who are like reformed Jewish, you know, so um, and then they're planning to do like this kind of em- kind of emigration between Israel and West Bank so that people can move. So basically, no, they will allow, you know, if you are Arab Israel, living in Israel, so you are allowed to go back to your original home. So I will make that thing easy. <laughs> uh, some of the things are like, you know, even like when Isaac Shamir was in power from liquid power, I mean, he tried to avoid these people by all means. Now Netanyahu, like, in a like in a like foolhardy situation, but at the same time, part of the problem is he's he's going through this like corruption cases. So obviously he has got serious interest to extricate himself from that corruption case. So one of his also plan is to control the Supreme Court now, so they can you know put people by their own choice of people. So that's another thing. So it looks like it's not only control the the defense, the expansionist policy, but also it's all over the places now. It's just coming with like full force. So not only like they will affect the the Palestinians like, you know, causes, but also internal Israeli politics, this like left-right divide, that will create even like violence for those groups of people as well. So it says like no one is now out of this game now. Everyone is in. Well, but I, I would just like to insist on this point that in fact, for the Palestinians, the change is going to be marginal. It's going mm-hmm. to be a matter of um, degrees, not of kind mm, mm. for the Palestinians because they've already been experiencing Zionist annexationist tendencies at least since Sharon, if not earlier. Mm, the mm. second intifada, you know, rose up to prevent that, if not earlier, if, mm. if not from the first intifada. In fact, you know, this annexationist position has been basically unified across the Israeli ruling class. And mm. all the political parties. Mm. You see, because even the Israelis that quote-unquote agreed to the creation of the West Bank have never really accepted it and have violated it right through mm. with the settler policy and so on. Mm. You know, Ariel Sharon, for instance, was the Minister of Agriculture after the 67 war when he used that post, agriculture, to send settlers across mm the 67 armistice line to go and populate the West Bank. And then after the 94 agreement, they mm. thoroughly violated it every minute of the day. So the annexationist agenda, that is now unified across the Israeli political uh, establishment. Yes, where things will get tough are for liberal Jews. Mm. And it's going to be tough because 
I don't think this section, the far-right section, is going to want to permit a kind of tolerant society for Jews. Mm. You see, there was no tolerant society for Palestinians. But for mm. the Jewish residents of Israel, there was a great deal of tolerance. Mm. You know, there was basically, you know, uh, forms of sexual minorities were able to be publicly visible. In fact, encouraged even, you know, that there was no problem. Um, forms of, of Israeli feminism could develop, mm. you know, and so on. And people could be quite liberal and tolerant in the way families were organized. Mm. Now let's see whether they will pull the string here. Here the change may not be of degrees. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. It may be of kind. Mm. Mm. So in fact, this is a government that is not bad for Palestinians, or rather not any worse than any previous government. Mm. Mm. But it is worse mm. for liberal Jews. Mm. Mm. And I, I don't know what the Mm. what the exit is on this basis. You know, Mm. I don't know Mm. what the exit is. Mm. I fear that there may not be an exit. Mm. Because one of the commentary I was listening to, like this Palestinian ambassador in UK, and he was saying that, yeah, we'll die, but like this time we'll die like in more, in numbers. It's the same, but you know, the acceleration will be much, much bigger and higher. Um, That worries me, you know, like, I mean, more violence against the people. But at the same time, there is also a hope that, you know, because this will expose Israel, what it is. I'm not sure about the exposure argument. Mm. Because, you see, it is true that if they start to put a lot of pressure on liberal Jews who live in Israel, Mm. liberal Israeli citizens, This will create problems in the Jewish diaspora. Um, The Jewish diaspora might now split along these lines, Mm. along along questioning. You see, from at least 1967, there's been an idea that um, if you are in the Jewish diaspora, it is obligatory to back the government in Israel. Now, Netanyahu has always challenged that because there are sections of liberal Jews who just don't like Netanyahu. They're okay with the general policy orientation, but Mm. they don't like Netanyahu. They think he's too brusque and whatever. Okay? But this Netanyahu government might actually break the ruling consensus that criticism of Israel is off the map. I actually don't think this is going to expose anything that has not already been exposed. Mm. You know what I mean? That, look, you had five children playing football on the beach of Gaza. Mm. An Israeli plane came, saw that they were kids, killed them all. Mm. Now, that incident was known worldwide. Mm. You know, what is there to expose? Mm. You know, children being shot, uh, Shirin Abu Akleh yeah. being assassinated, you know, a US mm. citizen, mm. journalist mm. Al Jazeera assassinated. Mm. Then at her funeral, 
the Israeli security forces attacked the funeral cortege. What needs to be, that doesn't need to be exposed. Mm. But if this government is attacking not Palestinians, because that is now seen as acceptable. But if this government is attacking liberal Jewish citizens of Israel mm. and saying, no, no more gay pride allowed. Mm. No more, you know, we've got to rethink abortion. Mm. If they retreat to a right-wing social agenda, mm. that will create big problems mm. in the consensus that exists that Israel cannot be criticized. Mm. I think that's that is in the sense the area to keep an eye on, mm. um, and not uh, you know not oh what will they do to the Palestinians? Mm. It's what will they do to liberal Israeli Jews? Mm. Mm. But at the same same time, like I mean, I I I, I get it what you are saying, but at the same time, you know, the accepting the violence against Palestinians, why you should accept that position? It's not a question of you and I accepting it. You mm. and I don't accept the violence against the Palestinians. Mm. But there has become a general acceptance of that violence. Take the UK media, for instance. Mm. Take BBC, okay? It's mm. a publicly funded, it's a publicly funded media outlet. Mm. BBC routinely underplays the violence, the systematic violence against Palestinians. System it just undermines the stories. Mm. You know, when the young people of Palestine Action, for instance, conducted their operations against Elbit systems, you know, in the UK, um, the press they get is negative. Mm. I mean, these are young, brave people who are saying that Israeli weapons should not be developed and tested in the UK, which are going to be used against the Palestinians. Mm. But rather than take what these young people are saying and report that story, the story becomes, why are these young people doing these things to a private company? Mm. So, yeah, yeah, you and I may still feel and do feel aggrieved and angry at the terrible violence done to the Palestinians, but the corporate media sections of the political establishment in the West and so on, they, are, they, they totally accept the mm. violence against the Palestinians as something normal now. Mm. You know, mm. Israel bombs Gaza, nobody says anything. Nobody says anything. Mm. Mm. Thousands of people killed, nobody says anything. You know, 20 children wiped out from a, one old family wiped out, 20 people. Nobody really cares. Mm. I'm sorry mm. to say that, but it's mm. true. Mm. Mm. So this government, I don't think will do anything worse than previous annexationist governments. They may by degrees, increase by degrees, but not by kind. Mm. That's the difference. Um, mm. I mean, you know, the previous government, which was voted out of office, was vicious. Mm. It was under the previous government that Shirin Abu Akhle was killed. What mm. investigation? They did nothing. Mm. A journalist is shot to death while covering the raid by your forces. By your mm. own forces, she was shot. Mm. Mm. Nothing. 
So in that sense, from the standpoint of the Palestinians, the change is minimal. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Like, I mean, before I forget, because this is an important point, you mentioned about this Palestinian Christian journalist, uh, Abakela. It seems like FBI is now opening the investigation. <laughs> well, because And, she's a U.S. citizen. But, I mean, what's, what's the prospect of that investigation? Do you think anything will, will be done about that? Well, she has family in the United States and apparently family members have been trying to raise this issue. Mm. She's a U.S. citizen. A government is supposed to have, you know, give certain services to its citizens. I think they, the government came under some pressure, mm. um, not mm. only from the family, but, you know, sections of the Palestinian community and others, mm. journalists mm. and so on. And, and they, I think, maybe were forced to open something. I mean, I don't think, look, Israel doesn't allow United Nations inspectors into the country. Now, Israel is a little more afraid of the United States. Mm. I don't think they're going to have FBI investigators roaming around Hebron. Probably look at the Israeli report mm. and write a similar report, you know, mm. because there is a general consensus mm. that allows Israel a certain level of allopathic violence, you know, not homeopathic violence, small doses of violence, but big allopathic doses of violence against the Palestinians. Mm. That has been there for a long time. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Now that's, this is quite interesting. Because like I saw the defense, Israeli defense minister came yesterday in the press that, you know, they will not allow any kind of investigation by a foreign country, which is USA. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is the kind of posturing that Israel has done for a long time. As mm. I said, they don't allow human rights organizations, the UN, they don't allow UN investigators into the country. Mm, mm. Um, they don't allow human rights. In, I mean, they likely will not allow the FBI, but FBI may also be quite content not to be allowed in. Mm, mm, mm. Because they may not want to do a real report on this. Mm. You know, and that's important. No, that's, that's, that's quite interesting. Like, you know, suddenly uh, FBI is doing something. That means like Israel has to respond something. And whatever happens, you know, at least, you know, I, I can see like even like New York Times, like Washington Post, NPR, they are also, you know, saying that, oh, this is a really bad thing Israel did. So that's kind of, you know, I don't know, like whether we can say it is a good thing to happening or or it's just another, you know, like facade they will do and then, you know, and then move on. I mean, you know, It's hard to say what the outcome of these things would be, you know. Mm. Uh, as I said, some when something new like this happens, when like the FBI in the U.S. says we're going to look into this, um, one has to see. But I, I mm. my own feeling is it was done under immense pressure, mm. and I'm not sure if this pressure is going to lead to anything. Mm-hmm. Like one of the interesting character of this Israel selection, uh, this guy Ben Gavir. I mean, he was on a like kind of you no know, the amount of things he did incited or like you know got entangled with like all kind of bad stuff. Um, and I think he he was very keen about you know this like um, someone called this this Kahana's Kath party because these are his heroes. And these are the parties like USA put them on terrorist list. Because now these are the people, you know, that will be the defense minister or something like that. 
So you just cannot put them in a terrorist list anymore. You know, these things have a history. So, for instance, after the violence um, in Gujarat, when 3,000 odd Muslims, largely Muslims, were killed uh, during Narendra Modi's chief ministership, there was a mm. campaign in the United States uh, led by Indian Americans and others mm. that eventually resulted in the U.S. State Department denying Narendra Modi a visa to enter the mm. U.S. For, dec- for, I think, 10, 12, 15 years. Mm. Uh, Mr. Modi mm. could not get a visa. He couldn't come to the U.S. Mm. When he wins the election in 2013-14, around that period after he wins the election, the State Department had to just throw out the file and give him a visa. So politics is a very interesting game. You know, mm. Mm. Um, the Kahane group, you know, violent actions inside the United States, assassinations abroad, and mm. so on. Um, but, you know, I mean, Yair Bolsonaro of Brazil, um, you know, idealized um, the military dictatorship, uh, a violent, uh, you know, act that was lasted for 21 years, um, mm. you know, and yet, the United States government just said everything's okay, you know, now that mm. you're in power. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you kind of brought Modi in this discussion. Um, what do you think? Like, you know, so obviously Israel has got this kind of new government with this group of people. Do you think there'll be like some kind of international cooperation among this group of people, like, you know, Bolsonaro, like, you know, Modi? Um, we've got this Hungarian prime minister. And and now Israel. So like, uh, and then you know Trump just you know says that he'll run for the election. I mean, quite a dangerous situation is now brewing up, isn't it? Well, but again, this uh, this is not new. F- firstly, Bolsonaro will be gone in January. Uh, mm. On the first of January, he won't any longer. But this so-called right-wing international. Mm. Has been already is already in existence. I mean, Orban of Hungary mm. uh, went and spoke at a Republican type meeting in Texas. Uh, Steve Bannon, who was the advisor of Donald Trump, has been traveling around. He's befriended the Bolsonaro family, Orban, and others. You know, this is already there. This right wing mm. grouping. Mm. Israel has a tougher time with this because some of these people are out and out Nazis. You know, they are Nazi sympathizers, one way mm. or the other. So it's very difficult for Israel to be part of this grouping. So mm. that actually prevents Israel from direct activity with this group. Um, India is going through a real re, uh, you know, calibration of its politics, mm. international mm. politics in particular. Mm. So, for instance, at the G20 meeting, Modi's government refused to sign on to a strong attack against Russia. Mm, mm. You know, because it is also recalibrating. Mm, so mm. what you're seeing is, yes, there's a kind of hardened right-wing international between the Republicans, Orban, you know, and so on. Some sections will be there. They will, you know, the government in Poland and 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 here here, here and there. But it's not going to be one way like Netanyahu can get directly involved. Mm. Because he will face a problem. I mean, these are anti-Semitic organized forces. Mm. The government of Mr. Orban is an anti-Semitic government. Mm. He makes mm. terribly racist comments about Jews. Mm. Mm. Um, so, 
I don't think it's going to be that easy for Israel to get involved with these groupings. Mm, mm, mm. Like, I mean, one of the things, like, I mean, I, I, uh, first of all, like, thank you because, I mean, you mentioned about, you know, the get Chomsky on, on your podcast. So I, I got in touch with Chomsky and Chomsky actually came to my podcast and we spent good time together. So thank you so much. But one thing he said in his podcast, you know, the, Israel is one of those countries in the world where the young generation moved to the right and that really saddens him. I mean, do you know, like when I go to my class, I see young, young, young people. I see hope, you know, I see compassion with them. But when you talk about Israel, I mean, this young generation, what's, what's going on there? I mean, it's not just in Israel. It's there in India as well. Um, I mean, it's there in, in Bangladesh, um, of course. If you look at how young people from mm-hmm. middle-class families and, and, and so on are attracted by the right. Um, they're attracted by maybe, you know, the stabilities that come with the right, power. Um, you know, also in Israel, the government and the media have done a great job of scaring people that, mm-hmm. you know, Palestinians are terrorists and they want to take away your homes and so on. So, I mean, it's the core issue is not the young people, but it's the, it's in Israel, it's the question of annexation is Zionism is a fundamental cultural consensus. So why would you expect young people to break with it so easily? You know, it's a for, it's a real consensus. Um, in a country mm-hmm. like India, they're trying to make Hindutva into the consensus, you know, strong India means a Hindu India and so on. Um, in Bangladesh, you see this as well, you know, very mm. uh, interesting consensus being created. In that case, you know, against the idea of, say, extremism. So you allow extremism against mm. extremism. Um, it's an interesting soup. But for a young person, that might be attractive, you know, because mm. it engenders fears and so on. I don't think youth by in, in some natural way are going to gravitate to the left. Um, mm. It has a lot to do with the politics of the moment, what's available to them, you know, mm. what are the different uh, ideological sort of uh, projects available to young people. Um, mm. If there's nothing available, they are not by themselves going to walk left. You know, mm. Mm. You know go back a hundred years uh, the rise of the fascist movement, those are young people who were attracted to the fascist movement, you know. Mm-hmm. The futurist movement in Italy, that's the precursor to fascism. A lot of young artists and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with the ideas that germinate around you and mm-hmm. what takes hold, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, in a question of a place like Israel, the annexationist consensus is so great Mm. It's an mm. act of enormous will to break from it. Mm. I'm actually surprised to meet left-wing Israelis, young left-wing Israelis. I, it surprises me because they have made an enormous break mm. with mm. this annexationist consensus, and I applaud them for it. But mm. it's an they are courageous. Mm. They made an enormous break, you know. But the problem is then, then how this will end then. What's the end game there? Well, maybe the end cannot be seen within Israel. Maybe the end has to also come from the Palestinians 
putting forward a political project that's you know mm. going to drive some sort of agenda the palestinian politics has also been a little stuck mm. Mm. for a while mm. um that's one place you know uh, perhaps if this right wing government the tendency of the governments to go socially more to the right was always there in israel mm. and if this government goes to the right further and cracks the consensus in mm. the jewish diaspora then maybe in the united states there'll be less appetite to back israel mm. Mm. you know these are contradictions that are outside israeli society itself it could be that if this government pushes a very right wing social agenda it might rejuvenate the left inside israel mm. you see an israeli left might appear women's movement might appear mm. and they might make links with the palestinians mm. political links you know mm. uh, saying that we don't want to live in a religious state mm. and therefore they might say well then we don't want to live in a ethnic state either we want to live in a mm. secular country with jews and arabs and everybody together mm. you know mm. the one state solution Mm-hmm. maybe that will open the way i mean these are various pathways but I mean, these are just speculations i mean it kind of it's a kind of bad analogy you know when i watched the film fight club you know when it's talking about you know he hit the rock bottom you know <laughs> so israel's left is that you know now hitting the rock bottom so the oh it hit the rock bottom a long time ago <laughs> Oh. like with this election this is a total capitulation of the left isn't it it's gone totally gone no but the left was gone 20 years ago if you look at you see the only left that existed mm-hmm. in the period between say sharon's election till now the only left that existed were the arab parties mm-hmm. they were the only ones who had something of a left agenda mm-hmm. but they are not left parties yeah yeah actual left parties in israel are enormously weakened mm-hmm. the communist mm-hmm. party the kind of even the social democratic forces the labor party was wiped out decades ago that that wipe out took place in a sense beginning after the 67 war mm. the rise of likud and then the rise of the fracturing of the israeli legislature wiped out labor yeah mm. Mm. Um, that has been there for a long time mm. like one of the like i mean because cop 27 is happening so i thought you know I'll touch a bit. You know the the way the mainstream politics happens. So suddenly, look, Al Gore became very you know vocal about you know he cares about the planet and everything. One of his like famous speech I still remember like when Edward Said talking about you know this America's politics about Orientalism. So he has got this very famous speech just before his election campaign. He was he was saying that we are a proud nation. do you know what what we did when israel proclaimed their independence within 11 minutes we accepted the position within 11 minutes and the whole audience just exploded in like applause you know but the problem is the other side of the story like you no know, the palestinians lost everything mm. on the same day isn't it he didn't say a single word about that so with I this mean, kind of huge blind spot you really care about planet you know i mean these people worry me well but that's the state of our planet but again you know there are always contradictions mm. that emerge you know 
Okay, I have to leave you because actually my day is a little insane today. So Sorry about that. No, no, thank you so um, much. No, so like time to time, I will like get in touch with you if you make time. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk again. We'll talk thank again. You. Thank okay. you, comrade. Take okay. care of yourself. Okay.